Have you ever been the subject? Uh, have you ever been the subject of fake news? Well, if you have been, it's not a pleasurable experience. It happened a few years ago. My wife Debbie and I were contacted by a friend who was uh, wondering what was happening. They'd heard that I was leaving Centerpoint Fellowship and going to be the pastor of another church in Montgomery. And we asked, well, how did that happen? They said, well, it says right here in this handout that Debbie Schmidt's leading a Bible study at this church, and she goes with you, so you must be going there. Well, I reminded them there are three Debbie Schmitz in Montgomery, Alabama, a blonde, a redhead, and a brunette. I'm married to the redhead, and it was the blonde that was leading the Bible study, and I don't have anything to do with her, okay? And my wife approves of that. <laughs> and, uh, but what was really interesting was is this person had figured out a whole thing. They had, they had contacted some other people, and they had figured out that I was leaving to go there and all this just because somebody's name was the same. Well, that can happen, and it's called fake news when we take a little bit of truth, add together a whole lot of things that aren't true, stir it all up to create some sort of story. Now, you may be aware of this, but on social media, there's a little bit of fake news. Has anybody ever heard of this? Yeah. Well, I also want you, I want you to know this, and sometimes people tell me, well, the Bible just isn't relevant today. I want to tell you a story from the middle of Numbers where some people used fake news in order to rebel against God's chosen leader, the leader of the children of Israel, a man by the name of Moses. Today you're going to see it. It's exactly the same. A little bit of truth mixed in with a lot of supposition and a lot of wrong motives in order to steal power and to put themselves in charge. Dangerous game, serious consequences, as relevant as everything is today. So let me have a word of prayer for us, and we're going to jump right in. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. I thank you that the whole Bible reads as accurately today as it ever has. Lord, we live in a day when there are many people who are using fake news to make money, to get, make political gains, to make themselves look better and other people look worse. That stuff happens all the time now. And so, God, I just pray that you'll speak today. You'll show us some things we need to know about being godly people, about making sure we're standing for what's right, and to remember to pray for our leaders, not just attack them. These are things we're going to talk about today, so bless our time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're in the book of Numbers, this is a series counting on God. Numbers recounts the journey that the Israelites had between their time in slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how they got all the way to the edge of the promised land, wouldn't go in because they were afraid that they would lose battles to some very strong warriors that lived in the land at the time. They turned around, and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. During that time, there were some people who got tired of wandering, and they said, enough of this. It must have been Moses' fault. We could do a better job leading than he did. This is point one on your outline. While wandering in the wilderness, some jealous men rebelled against Moses using fake news. Here were their names, point A, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And what they did was they twisted the truth and attacked Moses' character. And that's what happens. Again, that's what's so dangerous about fake news. There's always a little bit of truth in it. There's some truth here in some of these attacks, and I'll point it out to you. Number 16. One day, Korah conspired with Dathan and Abiram, and they incited a rebellion against Moses along with 250 other leaders of the community. There were a little over 2 million people in, among the people of Israel, and they were in this wilderness journey together in a large 
tent city. And they were all prominent members of the assembly. Now they united against Moses and Aaron and said, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he's with all of us. So what right do you have to act as though you're greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Now, if you look at Korah's complaints, the first one is this. I kind of put these in a true and false thing so you can understand what's true and what's false here. The first complaint that he had, that Korah had, was that Moses and Aaron were no better than anyone else. That's true, and if you'd circle the true there. In fact, the Bible tells us Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth and was the first, would have been the first one to admit it. Moses had killed a man in anger, an Egyptian, when he was beating up on uh, one of the Israelites while they were back in slavery in Egypt. Aaron had bowed down when they'd asked him to make a golden calf while Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. Uh, Aaron knuckled under to peer pressure and made an idol, even though it was strictly forbidden. And so they were both very flawed. They knew that. And so that's true, that Moses and Aaron were no better than anyone else. Secondly, everyone in Israel had been chosen by God, and they had been. That's true also, if you'd circle the T on that. That's true too. And I gave you the reference there. When they were camped beside Mount Sinai, God had told them in Exodus 19, I want all of you to be my servants. You'll be a kingdom of priests. I want all of you to be witnesses for me to the whole world. The crazy thing is, is when God started speaking to them, everybody was afraid when they heard his voice and they saw smoke from the top of Mount Sinai. And so they shoved Moses out and said, Moses, you go and, you go and speak to God for us. At the time, they wanted Moses to lead them. And then the third statement that was implied here in number 16 was the Israelites didn't need to follow Moses' leadership. And that's false. That's false. He wasn't in charge because he was better than anyone else. He wasn't in charge because God had only chosen him to be a representative for him. The reason Moses was in charge was because God had called him to lead. Now, we're going to make a big deal of this at the end of this lesson, and we'll come back to this again, but understand this. This works this way in our church, too. Our leaders of this church, our staff, our elders, our deacons, I hope nobody would ever imply that we think that they are a better quality of people than the rest of us. They're ordinary people. Forgiven sinners, forgiven by Jesus. They're, we believe that God's called all of us, but we do believe that God calls some of us to leadership positions. And that's what's important. And the reason that they were supposed to go is because, the reason people were supposed to follow Moses was because God had called him to that position. And that's why he was in it. We need leaders, and we need people to step up to leadership, and it's important that we understand this. I'll never forget, it was about 15 years ago, um, when I was at Fraser Methodist, I was serving on a committee, and during a committee meeting, I had not handled um, an issue well in the meeting, and somebody confronted me afterward, and they said, I just didn't like your attitude during that meeting. You said some things you shouldn't have said. Well, I'm sorry. I said, I, I apologize to you, and I'll apologize to the rest of the committee members later. I agree with you. They said, well, that's not enough. I go, well, do you want me to write a letter? And they were going, no, you don't understand. I mean, if you make a mistake like that, well, you just shouldn't be in ministry. And I said, I'm not allowed to make a mistake while I'm in ministry? They said, well, you know, you're in ministry. Um, you know, I don't see how you could do that. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you meet me next week and let's write a sermon together of how I reached perfection and how you can too in five easy steps. And they went, what? And I said, well, let's talk about how I got to be perfect and that's why I got selected for ministry because I'm perfect. They said, well, you're not perfect. You're just like everyone else. We stood and looked at each other for a while and said, wow, 
you're just an ordinary person that God called to this, right? I went, oh yeah. And if you're wondering how John Schmidt got into ministry, get in line. That was what I was asking the Lord the first time he called me. It's like, Lord, seriously? And when you read about Moses' account, when God spoke to him in the burning bush, he said, Lord, send someone else. Understand this. When God calls people to leadership in ministry, when he calls God people to leader, uh, into full-time ministry or into volunteer leadership in ministry, it's not because they're better people. It's because he called them, and he's going to do things in and through their lives as they work with others. This is why we pray for our leaders. And this is why it's such a great sin what Korah and Dathan and Byram did. They didn't come and talk to Moses privately. They went and incited a rebellion and said, we're going to take over. Now, if you think, well, does that happen anywhere else? Well, here's a New Testament reference. This is life application. We must never tear others down in order to elevate ourselves. We must never tear others down in order to elevate ourselves. In the book of Jude, and many of you may not have read this yet, it's a short little letter written by Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Jude has a warning for New Testament churches where he's saying this exact thing, and he's appealing back to Korah in that situation. He said this, Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Like Korah, they perish for their, in their rebellion. These people are grumblers, complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. It can happen in the Old Testament. It can happen in the New. It can happen in this church. So if you have an issue, you're just supposed to never say anything about it? No, don't hear that. In fact, uh, before we finish our uh, time together here this morning, you're going to get to see our leaders and some new deacons we're installing here in Prattville. We want you to know who our leaders are. We want you to contact them. If you have issues, concerns, let us know. But that's a far cry from doing what these people did. They rebelled, and they wanted to take over, and it was a wicked thing. story goes on. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram minimized the good. See, God had given them positions, but they weren't content with that. Then Moses spoke, and he said, now listen, you Levites, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel had chosen you from among the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister them? Korah, he's already given you this special ministry and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one that you followers are really revolting against. For who's Aaron that you're complaining about him? I mean, no offense, Aaron, but who's Aaron? Why are you complaining against us? By the way, these people had been given the role of working in the, temper, in the portable temple, the tabernacle. They had been given all sorts of important roles. He said, why do you want to run the whole thing? You don't even know what you're asking. Moses had been the one whom God had placed in this sacred position. He spoke to Moses face to face because Moses would obey him. He said, Korah, why are you doing this? You already have a position of leadership. And here's another life application for us. We must make the most of the gifts and opportunities that God's already given us. The key way we identify leaders in this church is we recognize them. Well, how do you recognize them? They're people making the most of the opportunities and the gifts they already have. I mean, that's how you know. It's kind of like when I used to coach Little League. Hey, why'd you put that kid at shortstop? How do you know he has the best glove? It's like, well, or and he can catch it the best, catch the ball in that position the best. Because we hit a lot of balls at practice, and that kid caught him over and over again. 
He made the most of his glove. Same way here. When people are appointed to leadership, it becomes real obvious. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 4. This is from the message translation. Make a careful explanation of who you are and the work that you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself, and don't compare yourself with others. Those last two phrases here, don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others, man, that's the key to happiness in so many dimensions of life, not just church work, not to think more of ourselves than we ought, and not to go around comparing ourselves. Grass always seems greener on the other side until we get there and we find out, ugh, this is hard. I didn't know this was all going on. And Cora and Dathan, they minimized everything that God had already given them, and they just complained about what they didn't have. Could we read these two statements together, please? Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Man, we tell our kids this all the time, don't we, when they're growing up? Hey, just play your position. I mean, if you're third chair in the woodwind section, then be the best third chair there is. You're playing line? Well, be a good lineman. God's given us opportunities to lead here in this church, in volunteer organizations, in the community. Let's make the most of the opportunities we have. That is so important. It was important then. It's important now. But you understand how fake news works. You twist the truth. You minimize the good, and then you flip your outline over, and you maximize the bad. You exaggerate the bad. Oh, we never get any of this. We've done this a million times. Ah, we never get a chance. Things like this will happen. We, we can fall into this if we're not careful. Number 16 again. So Korah had gotten all these leaders, and they were standing in front of Moses and Aaron, but Dathan and Byron weren't even there. And so Moses said, well, and he said, well, Dathan and Byron are with me. And it's like, well, Moses sent a message and told them to come. So Moses summoned Dathan and Byron to see once if that was really true. But they replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in the wilderness, and that you now treat us like your subjects? What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you going to try to fool these men? We're not coming. We will not come. And they wouldn't even show up. You know, and again, just to tell you how this might look today, if you're going to update it, if Moses sent a text to Dathan and Abiram, I pretty much think it would look like this, that it's like, you know, Moses, come to the temple right now, tabernacle right now, is hashtag urgent. He'd probably get a reply back like this. Um, yeah, not coming, who made you king, hashtag loser, hashtag get a map, hashtag pretender. Okay, something like that, with lots of likes, from 250 likes. I mean, it'd be just like that. I'm not coming. Who made you king? And this is another thing about social media and about interacting on our phones. Have you noticed that people can be terribly rude when they don't have to face you face-to-face? -face? We can say awful things through these little devices that we would never say if we were standing in front of somebody. Well, that's what they were doing. What, are we your subjects? We're not coming. I mean, you took us out of the land flowing with milk and honey. They're talking about Egypt that way. Egypt was where they were being beaten. Their male children were being taken from them at birth and pitched into the Nile River. They were making bricks with straw and then without straw. The Egyptians were trying to break them. 
They cried out to God for mercy, and that's why God sent them Moses. They completely exaggerated the bad. They said, we're in this horrible place. We're in a land flowing with milk and honey. That is so false. You were in a terrible place, and you'd already be in the land of milk and honey if you hadn't rebelled and gone in when God wanted you to. Oh, but this is the way it works. We twist the truth. We minimize the good. We maximize the bad, and there's a life application for us. We must focus on God and not our problems, or else we're going to lose perspective. All this can happen to us, too. One text, one post on a social media, and next thing you know, man, I was having a great day till I read that. Now life's terrible. This is awful. It's always been this way, 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we didn't look at the troubles, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. The things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I also said you could look up Colossians 3:2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Oh, that's so true. And the Bible tells us that in this world we're going to have troubles. In this world, we live in a fallen, sinful world where people do sinful and wrong things. But through Christ, we have an eternal home and glory where none of that will ever happen again. Through Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that he will be in us. He will guide us into all truth. And the Bible says that God is for us and that no matter what happens to us, he can use it for good. If that encourages you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. But you see how important it is to focus on that and not the angry text? And Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they'd stirred up the whole community. Moses is leading us the wrong way. We had a good in Egypt, remember? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Aren't you tired of wandering around the wilderness? Yeah, well, let's go back to Egypt. Yeah. What? And so Moses said, we've got to stop this. Point three, point two, Moses had a showdown with the rebels in order to settle whom God had chosen to lead his people. I mean, if they were in any doubt, Moses said he had fallen face down in front of them. I mean, who do you think I am? Who do you think Aaron is? The only reason we're leading is God, God chose us. I thought you knew that. I've never pretended anything else. If you're in doubt, let's settle this once and for all. No one can come stand before the holy God who made us on his own volition I mean, we're sinners. God had spent a whole year with them camped at Mount Sinai, giving them a sacrificial system where they could sacrifice animals to pay for their sins because the wages of sin is death. He says, you guys are leading this rebellion. If you stand before God pretending you're righteous, you will die. Do you not understand this? Oh, we're not listening. We're not even going to show up. Very well, then we'll let the Lord settle it. So there was a showdown the next morning. This is going to be a kind of a lengthy read here from number 16. But this is what happened. Remember, this is an Old Testament days. The Old Testament was the Old Covenant, where if you sinned, you had to make atonement for your sins. A priest had to make that atonement for you. And not just anybody could go forward, only the priest that God had chosen. Understand that. So let me put this in context. Jesus has not died for our sins yet. This is before that. Moses said to Korah, you and each of the 250 followers must prepare an incense burner. 
and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. The incense represented the prayers. The smoke from the incense represented the prayers going up to heaven. God views our prayers as sweet-smelling. That's what that was doing. That's what they were doing. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So Aaron was supposed to do this. You guys are claiming you have the authority. Then we'll all stand before the Lord with incense burners and let the Lord choose. Aaron on one side, 250, the rest of y'all on the other. Meanwhile, Korah stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and so they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Well, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get away from these people so that I might destroy them. Now remember, this is about to get very, very painful. If you and I were to stand before God on our own merits, our sins unforgiven, in open rebellion saying, we make up our own rules, God, you don't tell us what to do? Mm. That's what's happening here. Mm. And the Lord said, get away from these people, so I might instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded, you're the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? And the Lord said to Moses, then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram. I mean, they still wouldn't come. He was followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you'll be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And Moses said, this is how you'll know that the Lord has sent me to do these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something new, entirely new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you'll know these men have shown contempt for the Lord. Well, Moses had hardly finished speaking these words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men with their households, their followers, all who were standing with them, everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with their belongings, and then the earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. And then fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. And so the Lord's instructions to Moses were carried out. Now I want to hit the note there first. There, I'll get back to life application in a second. Sin has a very high cost. Sin has a very high cost. Can we say that together, please? Sin has a very high cost. I mean, if we're to stand before God, remember under the Old Testament means the old agreement. The wages of sin is death. If you, if you sin, something has to die. Since you want to live, you can take the pride of your herd and it can be a substitute. And the Israelites offered sacrifices over and over and over and over again because we're all sinners. And they longed for the day when there could be a permanent sacrifice that would come and pay the penalty for all sins once and for all. That hadn't happened yet in this time. And so these men were standing before God demanding that they want justice right now and let their sin be on their own heads. And it was. And it's terrifying. Sin has a very high cost. In the New Testament, this is why Jesus came. This is the new agreement. Jesus, the Son of God, came down and said, you will never be able to fix yourselves. I'll die in your place. I'll let 
the wrath of God that's due you, the same wrath that would open up the earth and swallow Korah, Dathan, and Byram and all their followers, that wrath is going to be poured out on me. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the nails didn't hold him there. He died willingly for you and you and me. Sin has a very high cost, by the way. All that wrath that was due me was poured out on Jesus. You read the accounts of his crucifixion. He was beaten, whipped, mocked, crucified, condemned. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this long before it ever happened. Listen to these words. Uh, if you take a notice, this is from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected. This is speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, but we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And the reason why we don't experience immediate judgment like that is because all that wrath that was due you and me was poured out on Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is I can never atone for my own sins and neither can you. In fact, I can't even die for your sins and you can't die for mine because we're both sinners. But Jesus never sinned and God laid the penalty for our sins upon him. Listen to this life application. Praise God, Jesus came to save us from God's wrath and give us new life. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of this unseen world. He's a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, and it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. I mean, do you understand this? That's the whole idea of a new testament, a new covenant. You can never atone for your own sins. We deserve God's wrath, but Jesus had it all poured on him, and all who come to him can find forgiveness and new life in his name. And if that's good news for you this morning, would you say amen? Think about this. But these men forgot all of that. They forgot they'd been traveling by God's grace. That God himself was leading them. God was feeding them with manna every day. God himself would lead them into the promised land if they just follow. They forgot all of it. And we can forget all about God's grace. And we can grumble and complain. Now go back to that life application I skipped over. It's important that we do not stir up dissension. Mm. You see God's anger poured out in Korah, Dathan, and Byram. Solomon said in Proverbs 6, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. That is fake news. 
pouring out lies, stirring up dissension, haughty eyes, thinking I'm better than you. Oh, God hates this. We are sinners saved by grace. And now go back to point three there, the four ways we can apply this story to leaders at center point. Well, first of all, let me remind us, our leaders are no better than anyone else. They're not. We're all sinners saved by grace here. Praise God. Secondly, God has gifted and called all of us to participate in ministry. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, that's absolutely clear. We all have giftings and talents and abilities. But thirdly, God has gifted and called some of us to lead. That's true here. We need leaders, and God's raising them up. As I said before, we recognize people as they serve and are faithful to him. And finally, we're going to encourage each other here, not tear each other down or stir each other up. We're going to encourage each other here. If there are issues, let's deal with them. But let's deal with them rightly, privately, correctly. Not in grumbling, complaining, and rebelling. That's what Jude warns of. That's what Korah and his followers did. And it's important because we want to do what God wants us to do and we want to follow him and work together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we just read a story of fake news from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Twisted truth, minimizing the good, maximizing the bad, running people down, stirring up dissension and discontent. Hmm. Lord, we see so much of this in our culture today. And God, I ask that you would open our eyes to this and we would not be party to it. First of all, Lord, I just pray that we would not be guilty of gossip or slander or spreading things that aren't true. And secondly, Lord, I pray that you'd remind us to pray for our leaders, leaders of our nation, leaders of our state, leaders of our church. Thirdly, Lord, I pray that you'd remind us to make the most of the opportunities we already have. You've been awfully good to us. It's only by your grace that we're saved. Forgive us for when we get prideful and we focus on problems rather than you. We pray these things today confident that you will give us leaders, confident that you're going to guide us, We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you turn over to the back side of your bulletin, you will find that um, we uh, we have some deacons here at each of our locations.